Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 300 speaker files, links for you to subscribe to the podcast, and a place where you can donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Casey A. Hi, I'm Casey, a compulsive overeater. Hi, Casey. Um, just to be honest, that's not my real given name, but since this is being taped, um, it was important to me just for business purposes that people didn't Google my name because I have um, a unique name. So I want to be vulnerable, open, and honest here and share um, what it was like, what, it, what happened, and what it's like now. So I'm using my dog's name. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a Labrador, and she's a compulsive overeater, too. So <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so I'm really grateful to be here. And um, Atusa, thanks for um, asking me to be here tonight. It's really an honor and a privilege. Um, wow. Um, I will share really just generally um, you know, how it's laid out when they say what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I've been in the program um, steadily for, I've, I've been coming for 19 and a half years, and I have 18 and a half years of abstinence. Um, and just to get the numbers out of the way, because um, sometimes I share and I forget to say that, and it's really important, too, for people that are listening on the podcast, because um, no gauge of seeing anyone when you listen to these. So... The numbers, um, my top weight was um, well over 230 or 240 pounds. I, I actually stopped weighing myself at the height of my disease. It was just too humiliating to keep getting on the scale. But I can say my top clothing size was a size 22-24. And um, I do qualify as an anorexic as, as well. And my um, my smallest clothing size was a size 2.4, and I was close to 100 pounds, and I've been hospitalized for anorexia. So I have both sides of this disease, um, and um, my um, I don't know my weight today, but I my clothing size, because I don't weigh myself, that is too difficult for the numbers part of my anorexic brain, um, but my clothing size has been the same for a number of years, and my clothing size is, I think it's roughly about a 10. So those are the numbers. Um, and um, 19 and a half years ago was not the first time I came into OA. I came into OA um, I'm over 30 years ago. I was a teenager. I was 15. I'd come out of the hospital from anorexia, and I'd start eating again, and I'd start to experience um, the addiction to food again, and I was humbled, and I found myself in the OA rooms, and I didn't stay, but... Um, uh, so I first was introduced to OA over 30 years ago. So um, those are the numbers. I, I just thought it was important because sometimes I forget that. And, um, you know, when I was new, it was really important to me that I had heard that um, people were as a high weight that I was and that they weren't that today, that they were, you know, they say, like, um, some of the goals here is to be um, in normal body size and healthy, healthy body weight. And um, 
uh, I didn't think that was possible. I, I really related um, to, the, to the birthday people, happy birthday, to um, the two people that took candles, because I thought that I was just destined to be a compulsive reader my whole life. I, like, I really didn't think that there was a way out that had that showed freedom beyond that. So I guess I'll backtrack. I started, um, I, I just remember being a normal eater as a kid. And I remember having um, food choices and being able to eat food and going out and playing and getting on with the day. That's what I remember. And then something happened when I was, um, I, I, I remember the week it happened. I was age 11. I was on a trip to Hawaii with my father. And I remember, for whatever circumstances it was, whether it was genetic or, you know, the chaos at home or whatever it was, like, I, I stopped trying to figure out why I'm a compulsive eater. Like, the steps revealed to me if there are any reasons why I'm a compulsive reader, but I don't need to figure it out anymore. I just know I am, thank God. Um, but I remember this week in particular, and it was almost like the light switch had turned on, and I couldn't stop eating for an entire week. And I came back, I was living um, with my mom in Colorado, and I had gained 10 pounds in one week. And I, I was a normal eater up until this time. And my mother looked at me, and I come from a family of normal eaters, so um, they were all pretty baffled. And so I went on my first diet. And I will say, my mom being, you know, for all intents and purposes, um, she was a normal eater. Um, she was really loving, you know, with me. She never shamed me. And so I do remember just going on that first diet, and the roller coaster started where um, I felt deprived. And I remember losing that 10 pounds, and then I very quickly gained 15. <laughs> and then I went on my next diet and lost the 15 pounds and then gained 20. And then I lost the 20 and then gained 50. And that's what kind of compulsive reader I am. It was, um, you know, what is said in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous about this being a progressive disease. That's what I experienced. And just for a little identification purposes, you know, um, the kind of binging that I did, um, I am a secret eater. I love what I heard with the chip taker tonight talking about accountability um, because my secretism with food went very, very deep. Um, and I grew up in a town that was, um, I grew up in a ski town, and um, people were really thin and really athletic, and when I started gaining weight, I just felt like an alien. I felt totally alone, and um, so my binges just got worse. You know, I just, I did all the things that, you know, thank God from the years of being in here, there's nothing I've done that I haven't heard in here. Thank God. You know, it's like the identification was very important when I came in. I needed to hear people eating the way I was eating. So, um, you know, um, big boxes of things and, um, you know, I would go to the supermarket and hole up for days on end. And, um, you know, the sugar, salt, you know, um, starch combination that was really, really a powerful narcotic for me really did the trick for, um, you know, I look at the circumstances of how I grew up, and um, I did grow up with um, one of my parents be who was an alcoholic, 
And I do remember being incredibly fearful in the household. So there was a lot of fear that I had. And um, how I satiated that fear was by eating. And it really worked for a really long time. And then when I discovered dieting, um, uh, that gave me a sense of hope, false hope. It gave me a sense of um, purpose. It gave me something to do, <laughs> and I always was really, really great at dieting. So I, you know, it's like um, they talk about in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous the methods we tried to stop drinking: drinking only wine, drinking only beer, drinking only on the weekends. And the methods I tried to stop compulsive overeating were plentiful, and um, they for the most part, were all my ideas as teenagers. You know, I was not forced into any of this stuff. I remember, you know, in back in the day, I am 46, so to date myself, there are a lot of diets that don't exist anymore. <laughs> but, um, you know, the Scarsdale Diet, Beverly Hills Diet, I went to Weight Watchers Camp, I went to the Schick Center where they hooked you up to, you know, electric shock treatment. Um, I abused uh, prescription um, speed. I... Um, uh, you know, did calorie counting, exercise, bulimia, laxative abuse. I've done it all, basically. I did it anything that I could get my hands on. And it always worked. And I'd lose the, you know, 80 pounds or whatever it was in a very short period of time. And then besides the period that I was anorexic, I quickly gained it all back, then some. And, um, you know, what I can say is this disease, um, it's forever humbling, it's incredibly painful. It's more painful than anything I'm, I've experienced besides probably death of close family members. This disease, um, it just ripped me of, like, wh while active in it, I feel like um, during the time that it was working, you know, because it really gave me a lot of comfort in the scary household that I grew up, but... Um, when it stopped working was this breaking point of um, not being able to give it up and needing it, but it wasn't working anymore. And that was the point that um, brought me eventually into OA. And, um, you know, there's something um, that struck me. I, I was reading this in the car and... Um, this is the A12 and 12, one of our primary texts. And in the forward of this, it says, and I'll just switch the, the um, words to OA. OA's 12 steps are a group, this, OA's 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which, if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to eat and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. I love that line. I mean, you know, I mark this line and I reread it at times and um, I can stand here and ask an individual and say, like, God has done for me what I couldn't do for myself 18 and a half years later. Um, that I do practice this as a way of life completely imperfectly, but I do keep showing up and I do have a bottom line abstinence. And I do have a commitment to be here. And I do sponsor people. And it has expelled the obsession to eat and enabled the sufferer, me, to become happily and usefully whole. And then going back to what I was saying before, where it's like I didn't think it was possible to get through a week of not compulsive overeating. Like, 
I could not, for the life of me, um, I could not do life without the tool of food. That's just the bottom line. And, um, you know, when I first came into OA, um, I, um, like I said, I came in when I was a teenager, but I didn't stay. I, I, I totally commend any people that come in as teenagers and stay. It's astounding to me. But when I read the 12 steps and knew it had to do with a lot of work of writing and reaching out to people, which I certainly didn't want to do, and um, a higher power, I was like, I, I was definitely not ready for it. So I came back in my late 20s, and where the disease took me is um, I had lost my job. I couldn't clean my apartment. I um, uh, was wearing, like, food-stained clothes. Um, I wasn't at my top weight, but I was definitely at my top insanity around food. And um, I came back in, and, um, you know, the miracle just started happening by me just coming in here. There weren't any rules. I was so grateful for that. And I just came to meetings for a year. I didn't get a sponsor, which I don't recommend to any newcomers if you're new, like, look for someone to sponsor you and get going. But I wasn't ready. And um, so um, it's like I sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, I was definitely the slow type. So for the first year, I just came to meetings. And it was astounding to me, too, that I was totally welcomed here, even though I was still binging. And um, I could raise my hand and, you know, to talk about, like, what I heard, that word earlier about accountability, like, even just to be accountable and raise my hand and say what I was binging on was being accountable in the beginning. And um, people clapped and said, keep coming back. <laughs> and um, I'd go back out and I'd binge. And then after a year of doing that, I was willing to get a sponsor and, um, you know, slowly things started to change for me and as soon as I started working those 12 steps as their outline with my first sponsor and going through the big book um, things started to change and um, my abstinence I'll just say that my abstinence is three meals a day a snack if I need it and um, <coughs> I do have a food plan but I didn't surrender to a food plan until about um, 14 years ago when I like hit a bottom with some foods in abstinence. So if anyone wants to talk to me about my food plan, I'll talk to you after. But, um, uh, and for the newcomers, um, the food plan is really just part, it's one of our tools. It's not part of abstinence. So, um, but for me, it all goes hand in hand. And um, so, um, God, it, just to talk about, like, what happened and what it's like now. So my life today is so different than when I came in. And I feel like I do, I have obviously grown up in here. I mean, I came in in my late 20s and 46. So there's a lot of growing up. It's like I make a joke. It's like if I have to read anything, I have to put on glasses. When I came in, I didn't need glasses. <laughs> I, you know, a lot of things have changed. Um, and, um, you know, I get to go through, like, you know, this time in my life with, you know, my family of OA. I'm really grateful for that. And so... Um, yeah, so I'll talk a little bit about my process with the steps, and I want to talk about sponsorship. So a few years in, I got a sponsor who's my sponsor today, and it was a few years into my abstinence, I started to have trouble with food, and I chose a woman to sponsor me who just 
seriously scared the living daylights out of me. And um, it was really important for me to get someone who I could look up to who had a solid abstinence and who gave me direction, like, without impunity. Like, she would just give me direction. And I just knew I, I kind of needed that fear brought in me again at that point in abstinence of... Um, because it was, again, do or die, you know, to make some changes in my food and to get back into the steps. And she really took me through the big book. And, you know, at the time I had stumbled on step seven, and, um, uh, you know, I kind of stalled there. And that's when I started to have problems with food. And um, so she said, well, of course you're not free. You haven't done the ninth step. And that kind of intrigued me. So... Um, I started with step one again with her and went through the 12 steps and it did change me internally and spiritually and emotionally and um, I'm so grateful for that process with her and I'm never done with the steps in here. I'm continually learning and what keeps me fresh with the steps in here because I'm currently working the 12 steps in another program. I can really only work the steps in one program at a time but um, what keeps me fresh in the OA 12 steps is um, working steps with sponsees. And I sponsor a lot of women, and um, they carry the message to me all the time. So um, so I really had to look at my powerlessness, which I didn't want to do because my self-will is um, really strong. And then if I wanted to take it the next step further, I really had to believe in a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. It's like there was no if ands, or buts. It's like page 53 of the big book, God is everything or God is nothing. And that's been my experience. I don't always um, plug into my higher power in my life today like I would like to. Um, but what happens is, is I know my higher power is there and I do believe in God and I do know deep down I'm powerless over food and I do know deep down I'm powerless over many other things that I try to control in my, you know, little sneaky ways and then I get humbled and then if I don't let God in my life, what happens is my food usually gets bigger and it gets bigger in abstinence and that's all it takes. I don't need to lose my abstinence to be humbled again. And, you know, God willing. And um, so that's a really wonderful little, like, circle that happens for me in here. Because it, it keeps me humble and it keeps me coming back. And um, I never want to think that I have the food thing left because I know if I did, when I outsmart myself in here, it, um, I'll be out the door. And I know what kind of eater I am. I'm a 400-pound eater. And you guys would be, like, carving me out, out of my house. That's what kind of eater I am. So I'm glad I know that today. And um, I just want to talk about gratitude a little bit here with the last few minutes. So my life today looks very different um, than when I came in. You know, what I learned is a lot of my eating had to do with avoiding intimacy of people. And um, not just in love relationships, but in friendships and in work relationships and I've done a lot of work in that area, and um, the more work I did that in abstinence when I wasn't eating um, was when I found my life partner. I'm, I'm married today to a lovely man who's a normal eater, and um, we've been together for about seven years, and um, I never thought I would have that, you know? I never did. I, I never... It wasn't really even on my radar because... Um, 
I knew I was deep down lonely, but um, seriously, like, I'm the type of eater that it's like, I just was, if I could be free of the food, that, that was enough. <laughs> and so, um, you know, when I, when I was given the gift of freedom with the food, what I realized there were a lot of other wants and desires that we have as human beings that's beyond just like the, the image of me thinking all, all I want to do is be thin or all I want to do is, you know, um, uh, be free, free from the food. So, you know, I am so grateful because the 12 steps helped me so much in my marriage. Um, and, um, it's, um, it always shows me too when stuff comes up for me, um, it always has to do with the mirror and my stuff. Like as soon as someone in my life or something in my life, when I'm like pointing the finger, it's like that expression pointing the finger and you know, two or three fingers are pointing back at me. Um, the 12 steps really help me just look at myself deeper. And um, so, you know, there's one area in my life right now that I'm um, having some issues with the personality in the, in the work realm. And one of my sponsors, you know, um, said to me something so terrific. She just said, you're just getting a little 12-step workout. <laughs> she said, you know when you go to the gym or you take a yoga class and your muscles are sore? She's like, you're just getting a little workout. And um, that was so helpful for me because, you know, I think that just because I have abstinence or that I have the 12 steps or that I'm here or that, you know, I do these things imperfectly that are laid out, I think that I'm supposed to be free of um, character defects all the time or I think I'm you know I have this image that things are supposed to be a certain way and you know that illusion of things being a certain way is the way that um, I used to live my life when I was fat and when I was eating is like I had this image and this like illusion of the way that things were supposed to be and I was never participating in my life but I was always dreaming about it and so being in life I get to look at, you know, it's like there's this great speaker I listen to, and he, he talks about, like, get in the game, go mess up, see where your character defects flare, and use the 12 steps to relieve you of them, you know? Um, and the perfectionism really goes so deep down for me, and that's really tied into my anorexia of um, that things need to be contained in a certain way. And until I could really accept, like, life is incredibly messy, and I'm going to mess up, and things are, are sometimes going to be all over the place. Um, and then I have, and then usually I'm brought to a bottom with that, and then I have, you know, a higher power to bring me centered again. And so I'm really grateful for that. I'm, you know, I can't believe I'm saying it, but I'm grateful for this difficult work personality to bring me to my knees again, you know, in, like, and the thing that's causing me pain around it, which is so funny, is that why I'm caused pain about it is because I can't control how out of control this person is, and um, so it always goes back to my, like, my illusion of control, whether it be food, people, places, and things, and um, I know to have a healthy marriage, I can't control the other person, so I'm grateful to know that, too. 
Um, so I'll just wrap up because I'd like to take some questions. I feel like I don't. I'm not sure. Hopefully, I said something that's helpful to people. But um, I'm incredibly grateful. I'm like I, I was driving here tonight and really just deep down grateful. And I said to a friend before the meeting, I was like, I don't even know what to share about. And what I I need to remember is that. Um, you know, the the life before program, my eating life, it does seem like a distant memory in a way. Because it was 18 and a half years ago before I, like, since I've done that behavior. But, um, you know, I get to be incredibly grateful in knowing that if I didn't have the 12 steps, if I didn't come to meeting, if I, if I didn't turn my life and my will over to higher power, if I didn't sponsor people, that's like just the, the total stabilizing thing for me lately is that um, I wouldn't have any of this in my life and um, so it always brings me back to gratitude and program is portable I always share about that I always share you know I've traveled a lot um, around the globe and gotten meetings in many places where I didn't think that I could even hear a message you know and like the bayou in Louisiana and the swamplands where I didn't even understand what they were saying, you know? I mean, like, I, I literally, I'm like, in the Czech Republic and, you know, ran, ran into meetings, ran into people from program, like, in Paris, like, you know, on the street. And, like, God is just everywhere. And where it's showing right now is, um, I'll wrap up by... Um, my husband and I spent a lot of time out in Joshua Tree in the high desert. I love the quiet out there. And there's an amazing fellowship out there. It's an amazing fellowship. I have a Friday night meeting out there. And there's a guy who has 40 years of abstinence out there, out in Joshua Tree. And um, so I get the message, no matter where I am, I'm never alone here. And um, I'm really, really grateful. I'll open it up for, for questions. And um, thank you very much for letting me share. I'll repeat the question. The question is, what's my daily spiritual practice? Um, to be perfectly honest, it's not what I would like it to be. Um, I, um, you know, I have this thing that was given to me that I tell my sponsees to get on my, you know, the thing is to get on on my knees in the morning right when I, after I make the bed and say the first three steps. And um, I don't do that as much as I would like to, as much as I did in the beginning. But what gets me, um, like I said, like I feel like right now in my routine, it's like my daily spiritual practice is getting on the phone with sponsees because I hear God coming through me all the time. Um, another thing that I do do is um, I pray before and after every meal. And, you know, my sponsor calls it the opening and closing ceremonies of the Olympics. <laughs> so I, even if it's just like, God, please let this be enough, and when it's done, it's like, thank you. That's it, God. And um, what I am finding is, like, a deep spiritual practice um, out in nature right now. That's where, where I've been really um, imploring. Um, and I can't get that without silence because there's a lot of sound in the city. And I realize a lot of my eating was tied to noise. <laughs> I'm really sensitive to noise. And so, like, as I get deeper in abstinence, I realize silence is really important. So, um, and 
I was thinking about earlier, it's like practicing the 11 step in and out through um, through years in program. There are times when I do it more and there are times when I don't. So that's something I'd love to work on more. That's great. The question is, um, when I talked about like um, stopping at step seven years ago and getting a new sponsor and just talking about step seven and <coughs> how I use that in work. Well, um, what I am finding... Step seven, step six and seven, you know, um, entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character and then humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. The thing that always trips me up is, because I'm such an uber-control freak, I think it's my job to remove the character defects. And so I stay in the state of thinking I need to do something about my pride and my ego and my resentment, gluttony, greed, lust, envy, sloth. Like, I mean, I think I need to do something. And so when I really do call on God, um, for example, to use a concrete situation in this work situation, my pride, my ego thinks that what this other person is doing has everything to do with me. And um, I finally got it the other day. It's like what that person is doing like the spinning top, it's their top, it's their square. It has nothing to do with me. And it's my pride and my ego that things that, like, anyone surrounded by me has something to do with me. And um, so, you know, step seven for me, and I think of that expression of, like, stay in your square, like this little square right here, and let God do the rest. And that's really helpful for me, and I did kind of have an aha moment with the work thing around that. So that's it. Um, how did I know it was time to get a new sponsor? When my food got bigger. That's how I knew. I'm always moved and humbled when my food gets bigger. That's the like my little calling card. So, um, and I was stuck on step seven. So those were the two things, and I knew I had to make a change. Um, and um, I was in denial because my sponsor at the time had left OA, and I still called her my sponsor. Like, I was still talking to her about God and all this stuff. <laughs> so it took that, those three things. Like, when I look at the facts, you know, my sponsor today, she's like, look at the facts of things. Like, when my head's spinning, I'm like, oh, my God, blah, 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 blah. She's like, what are the facts? And um, the facts were those three things. My sponsor that I had was not no way. <laughs> and um, I was gaining weight in abstinence, and I was stuck on a step. That was enough. So. <laughs> okay, the question is, from a newcomer's perspective, um, what's the suggestion in terms of getting a sponsor or how to do that? Um, that's how I interpreted the question. Okay. Um, first of all, welcome. Um, uh, what was really helpful for me, because I also, it was incredibly terrifying. I think it's terrifying for everyone at first to think about, like, being vulnerable with another person. I always make a joke that, like, I would tell a stranger on the street about my sex life, but I never tell anyone about my food, <laughs> you know? I mean, it was, like, the most vulnerable thing that I could discuss with anyone, let alone, like, just, you know, what my day is and really being poorly honest. So um, 
what what I would suggest and what was helpful for me is um, I just tried it out with someone. I'd go to a lot of meetings and I'd hear people share. And if there were people I could identify with, it, I was taught also, you know, to choose a if I'm a female to choose a, a woman sponsor, and um, uh, that um, to give it a 30 day trial. That saved me because then I could really see if that was someone that I wanted to work with and also for the sponsor too to like let's try this out for 30 days and see how it goes and um, what's so great the 12 steps the 12 traditions do not change but the routines that each individual has in here is very different a lot of it is very the same but one routine that a sponsor may suggest to you may not really work for you and someone else might so that's why it's a great little, like, experimentation of going to a lot of meetings and hearing people share. And make phone calls. Talk to people outside of meetings. That's what I encourage you to do. So the question is, with perfectionism, how to deal with things having to be perfect? Well, um, I learn every day how to um, turn that character defect over to God. Because my perfectionism is really high. Like, what's really helpful for me is... In the inventories that I've done, when I look at um, what came up for me as a compulsive eater and what came up for me during my anorexia, because my anorexic is still very, very strong in me, not actively with food behaviors, but in the perfectionism. And um, so um, what's really, really helpful for me is, like, a really simple thing like to look at my to-do list for the day and cut it in half <laughs> like I need like really simple things of like I need really simple concrete direction and also to unwind things with other people like a lot of times like I I, I think we have to stop but I'll, I'll wrap it up with this it's it's like I heard the speaker talk about she's like you know I reason so much out in my head alone and then so much to the point where I think about calling my sponsor and then I have a whole imaginary conversation with my sponsor in my head and then like I'm driving I get to my destination I get out of the car and it's like oh check I called my sponsor you know it's like it's unbelievable what goes on up here so with perfectionism it's really helpful for me to get on the phone with another individual whether it be a sponsor a friend in program um, and to unwind it and to really um, to cut things in half, too, and to breathe. I forget to breathe. I'm very high-strung. That's why I ate, you know. I was like, <sighs> to breathe. So um, I hope that was helpful.